June 8, 1978, is no doubt an unforgettable day. On this day, priesthood and the temple blessings were extended to all worthy male members of the church. Memorable indeed, its impact affected the lives of uncountable multitudes. Of a million who had a full knowledge of its meaning, and of many others who have not yet arrived, perhaps, to the knowledge of the full extent of its effects. On that date, the First Presidency announced to the Holy World a new and special revelation of the Lord, which revelation was preceded by many prayers and much supplication for His divine direction. What a great change that revelation promoted in the lives of so many children of our Father in Heaven, and among them, my humble family in the city of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. It seemed unbelievable. It was an unexpected event, never before dreamed of by those whom the Father, in His perfect wisdom, preserved until this day when they would be best prepared to respond to the serious requirements of this truly honorable stewardship, which is the priesthood. In spite of the relative knowledge acquired throughout the six years of membership in the true church of uh, my first calling as a priesthood holder was not to serve as a general authority or a mission president or a bishop or as a member of two stake presidencies. It was not to serve as an executive secretary in the stake and in the world. My first assignment and the calling were that of serving as a home teacher. This calling preceded all the others. It is interestingly significant to think of it. Since then, I have considered this to be a most important and wonderful calling. In previous callings, I have always been released but this first stewardship has been kept untouched. There is no great church calling than that of a home teacher, taught President Reza Tafita Benson. There is no great church service rendered to our Father in Heaven's children than the service rendered by a humble, dedicated, committed home teacher. Close quote. After his resurrection and before ascended to heaven, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than this? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. The question was repeated two more times, and Peter answered in the same manner. And the Lord replied, Feed my sheep. This is the work God is toward the sheep of the hermit teacher to feed, to nourish, and quench the thirst of the sheep who are assigned to him as a shepherd. Nothing has been represented to have higher priority or more urgency in my ecclesiastical life, followed by the lives of my children, than the dedicated loyal and devoted fulfillment of this stewardship. It is worth noting the way the Lord prepares our spirit and mind without our realizing it, to obtain this high level of understanding. When we were, were still visiting the church as investigator, in the second week, we received a phone call from the branch president, Brother Antonio Landelino Barros, who asked if it were possible for him to come and visit us the following night. At the assigned hour, President Barros arrives accompanied by two men, all formally dressed, before the family gathered in the living room, President Barros asked permission to offer a prayer. His words were simple, but an inspiring supplication to the Lord asking for the guidance of his spirit and special blessing upon the family, for us to understand the purpose of that visit and to benefit from it thereafter. Briefly, President Barros presented a discussion on the home teaching program and introduced his companions, brothers Nelson Bezerra dos Santos and Alfredo Orlando Torres Lima, as our home teachers 
and from then on, our first and the most direct contact with the church. What a great experience, what a great opportunity and the privilege to serve. Those brothers were around our family during the whole time we lived in the branch area. President Marion de Romney taught that the home teachers carried the health and the glorious responsibility of representing the Lord Jesus Christ in looking after the welfare of each church member. Every Sunday, those brothers received our family when we arrived at the chapel. They sat next to us during meeting. They taught us the hymns. They taught us about the standards of the kingdom. They called us to inform about the passing away of President Joseph Field Smith and later about the calling of the new prophet, President Harold Billy. They were interested in the well-being and the progress of our family and their eventual needs. After our baptism postponed for two months, and even after we had moved to the Tijuca world, these dedicated home teachers and President Barros took turns during the following three months, approximately, in regular phone calls to know if our family was well adjusted in the new world, if everything was all right, if any help was needed, etc. In spite of the change of residence, the home teachers did not feel totally released of their duties of taking care and giving attention to our family. If we sure we had a new shepherd, they continued as our brothers in Christ. What a magnificent attitude. They no longer had the assignment, but they kept it, the Christian interest. What an extraordinary bond was established. Almost 23 years have passed since then. Many other home teachers' companions have succeeded those first ones. Their names, with few exceptions, are vaguely remembered, but the names and image of those first servants are forever in our memories, since they served as true shepherds. The most worthy calling in life is that in which man can serve best his fellow men, taught President David O'Mackey. Those brothers were, in fact, guardians, keepers, and very supportive. It is also worth mentioning that they fulfilled their stewardship with a happy countenance, which reflect our happy state of spirit. It seemed as if it were an honor and a privilege for them to serve so. They seemed to understand the juries of the eldest and the youngest alike, as it was taught by Apostle Peter. Feed the flock of God which is among you, take the oversight very often, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but the love of but of a ready mind. The example of those dedicated brothers served as the foundation for the future conduct of a new priesthood holder. As I recall this experience, myself, myself being a home teacher now, I have a pattern very close to the model of Jesus Christ to follow. Ever since then, I have devoted myself with all my might, with my best efforts, to the care of assigned families and some of my some of my most significant experience as a priesthood holder was lived as a home teacher. During the regional representative seminar held on April 3, 1969, President Herod taught that priesthood visitors are to be watchmen on the tower. The Lord desired to gather his people even as a hand gathered her chicken and her wings, and the home teachers, and by extension, the visiting teachers have a role of high relevance for the fulfilling of the desire of the Lord. As President Ezatafi de Benson taught, home teaching is a program so vital that if faithfully followed, it will help to spiritually renew the church and exalt its individuals, members, and the families. I pray that, as priesthood holders, we may develop a more perfect understanding of the sacred stewardship.
God delivers, as does his son Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. The Lord speaks today through his prophet, President God B. Hinckley, whom we love and follow. I bear this testimony in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, President Monson, for your inspiring words. We remind you, brethren, that the CBS Tabernacle Choir broadcast will be from 9.30 to 10 tomorrow morning. Those desiring to attend the broadcast and the Sunday morning session which follows must be in their seats by 9.15 a.m. Daylight Saving Time. Daylight Saving Time begins tomorrow at 2 a.m. We encourage you, in fact, we admonish you, to move your clocks ahead one hour before you retire this evening, or you'll enjoy only the second half of the conference in the morning. <laughs> we express appreciation to the Combined Institute Men's Choir and the Logan Ogden Salt Lake University and Orem Institutes for the beautiful music this evening. Following my remarks, the choir will conclude by singing where can I turn for peace? I wonder who organized this program to think I was going to stir up conflict. <laughs> the benediction will then be offered by Elder F. David Stanley of the Seventy. Thank you, brethren, for the efforts you've made to come to this great worldwide priesthood meeting. Wherever you may be, we thank you and commend you for your faith, for your loyalty to this, the work of the Lord, for the efforts you make in your daily living to be worthy of the sacred priesthood which you bear. This morning we all participated in a solemn assembly. That is just what the name indicates. It is a gathering of the membership where every individual stands equal with every other in exercising with soberness and in solemnity his or her right to sustain or not to sustain those who, under the procedures that arise out of the revelations, have been chosen to lead. The procedure of sustaining is much more and a ritualistic raising of the hand. It is a commitment to uphold, to support, to assist those who have been selected. I repeat what Brother Faust quoted early, earlier concerning the First Presidency, of whom the Lord said, of the Melchizedek priesthood, three presiding high priests chosen by the body, appointed and ordained to that office and upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the Church. I emphasize those words, upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the Church. Your uplifted hands in the solemn assembly this morning became an expression of your willingness and desire to uphold us, your brethren and your servants with your confidence, faith, and prayer. I am deeply grateful for that expression. I thank you, each of you. I assure you, as you already know, that in the processes of the Lord there is no aspiring for office. As the Lord said to his disciples, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. This office is not one to be sought after. The right to select rests with the Lord. He is the master of life and death. His is the power to call. His is the power to take away. His is the power to retain. It is all in His hands. I do not know why in His grand scheme one such as I would find a place. But having this mantle come upon me, I now rededicate whatever I have of strength or time or talent or life 
to the work of my Master in the service of my brethren and sisters. Again, I thank you, my beloved brethren, for your actions this day. The burden of my prayer is that I will be worthy. I hope that I may be remembered in your prayers. Now, in the ongoing of this work, administrative changes sometimes occur. The doctrine remains constant, but from time to time there are organizational administrative changes made under provisions set forth in the Revelations. For instance, 28 years ago, the First Presidency was inspired to call men to serve as regional representatives of the Twelve. At the time, that was a new calling in the Church. The Presidency stated that this was necessary because of the ever-increasing growth of the Church, which made evident a greater need to train our stake and ward leaders in the programs of the Church that they, in turn, might train the membership in their responsibilities before the Lord. At that time, there were 69 regional representatives. Today, there are 264. The organization has become somewhat unwieldy. More recently, the presidency were inspired to call men from the 70 to serve in area presidencies. As the work grows across the world, it has become necessary to decentralize administrative authority to keep general authorities closer to the people. We now have such area presidencies, well-established and effectively functioning. It is now felt desirable to tighten up the organization administered by the area presidencies. Accordingly, we announced the release, the honorable release, of all regional representatives effective August 15th of this year. To these devoted and able brethren, we express our deep appreciation for the tremendous work you have accomplished, for your loyalty, faithfulness, and devotion in advancing the cause of our Father in Heaven. I cannot say enough of good concerning these men. They have sacrificed their time and their resources. They have gone wherever, wherever they have been asked to go, whenever they have been asked to go. They have greatly assisted stake presidents and bishops with wise counsel and direction, with skillful training and instruction. We thank them, one and all, and pray that through the years to come the Lord will bless them with a satisfying assurance that each of them made a significant contribution to the work and that their labors have been accepted by him. Now we announce the call of a new local officer to be known as an area authority. These will be high priests chosen from among past and present experienced Church leaders. They will continue with their current employment, reside in their own homes, and serve on a Church service basis. The term of their call will be flexible, generally for a period of approximately six years. They will be closely tied to the area presidencies. They will be fewer in number than have been the regional representative. We are guided in setting up this new corps of area officers, as were our brethren before us in the calling of regional representatives, by the provision contained in the Revelation on Priesthood. Section 107 of the Doctrine and Covenants. After directions to the Twelve and the Seventy, the Revelation states, Whereas other officers of the Church who belong not unto the Twelve, neither to the Seventy, are not under the responsibility to travel among all nations, but are to travel as their circumstances shall allow, notwithstanding they may hold as high and responsible offices in the Church." Close quote. Now I repeat that these changes will not be effective until August 15th of this year. Now, brethren, a few words on a related matter. The Church is becoming a very large and complex organization. We now have members in more than 150 nations. There are nine million of us and we are growing at the approximate rate of a million each three and a half years. 
In addition to such regular programs as sacrament meeting, home teaching, meetings of the priesthood quorums and auxiliaries, all of which are designed to meet the needs of the living membership of the Church, we are carrying forward an enormous program involving such undertakings as the world's largest archive of genealogical and family history data, the operation of the largest private university in the nation, if not in the world, with a related seminary and institute program embracing hundreds of thousands of students, the staffing and management of the largest missionary organization, of which I am aware with a number now approaching 50,000, the carrying forward of a building program of unprecedented proportions, the operation of a very large and efficient publishing facility, and the training and motivation of the largest organization of non-compensated ecclesiastical officers to be found in any institution of which I know. I hesitate to use superlatives, but I think they fit in this case. We are becoming a great global society, but our interest and concern must always be with the individual. Every member of this Church is an individual man or woman, boy or girl. Our great responsibility is to see that each is remembered and nurtured by the good word of God that each has opportunity for growth and expression and training in the work and ways of the Lord, that none lacks the necessities of life, that the needs of the poor are met, that each member shall have encouragement, training, and opportunity to move forward on the road of immortality and eternal life. This, I submit, is the inspired genius of this the Lord's work. The organization can grow and multiply in numbers, as it surely will. This gospel must be carried to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. There can never be in the foreseeable future a standing still or a failure to reach out, to move forward, to build, to enlarge Zion across the world. But with all of this, there must continue to be an intimate pastoral relationship of every member with a wise and caring bishop or branch president. These are the shepherds of the flock whose responsibility it is to look after the people in relatively small numbers so that none is forgotten, overlooked, or neglected. Jesus was the true shepherd who reached out to those in distress one at a time, bestowing an individual blessing upon them. President Lee told us on more than one occasion to survey large fields and cultivate small ones. He was saying that we must know the big picture and then assiduously work on the particular niche assigned to each of us, and that in doing so we concentrate on the needs of the individual. This work is concerned with people, each a son or daughter of God. In describing its achievements, we speak in terms of numbers. But all of our efforts must be dedicated to the development of the individual. For instance, President Hunter urged us to greater temple activity. This sacred work concerns the entire human family, past and present. But it is accomplished on an individual basis, with those who have received their own ordinances standing individually as proxy for another. Likewise, missionary service is a personal labor, with the missionary teaching and bearing witness to the investigator, who must search and pray alone in the quiet of his own soul if he or she is to gain a knowledge of the truth. The gaining of a strong and secure testimony is the privilege and opportunity of every individual member of the Church. The Master said, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Service in behalf of others, study and prayer, lead to faith in this work and then to knowledge of its truth. 
This has always been a personal pursuit, as, as it must always be in the future. We speak frequently of Wilfred Woodruff's conversion of the United Brethren in England when some 1,800 were baptized into the Church. But let us not forget that each of them had to walk the lonely road of repentance, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and of acceptance of the fact that the ancient gospel had come again to earth in this the promised dispensation of the fullness of times. The decisions we make individually and personally become the fabric of our lives. That fabric will be beautiful or ugly according to the threads of which it is woven. I wish to say particularly to the young men who are here that you cannot indulge in any unbecoming behavior without injury to the beauty of the fabric of your lives. Immoral acts of any kind will introduce an ugly, irreversible thread. Dishonesty of any kind will create a blemish. Foul and profane language will rob the pattern of its beauty. Choose the right. When a choice is placed before you, is the call to each of us. Now, in conclusion, may I say that I glory in the wonderful, courageous, victorious past of this great work. I marvel at the present when you and I stand as watchmen upon the towers. I envision the future with hope, assurance, and certain faith. God, our eternal Father, lives. This is His work designed to assist him in bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of his sons and daughters of all generations of time. Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, who came to earth in the most humble of circumstances, who walked the dusty roads of Palestine teaching and healing, who died upon Golgotha's cruel cross, and was resurrected the third day. This is His Church. It carries His name. We are His servants, each of us. The priesthood which we bear is, the, is His priesthood, and we exercise it in His name. It was bestowed upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery by those who held it anciently having received it from the Lord Himself. The gospel is the way of peace, of progress, of safety, of salvation, of exaltation. This, the last and final dispensation, was ushered in by the glorious appearance of the Father and the Son to the boy Joseph Smith. You and I, my brethren, have received this holy priesthood to the laying on of hands by those in authority. We must live worthy of it. We must safeguard it. We must honor it. We must use it in righteousness for the blessing of others. God, help us to be true to the great and sacred trust which has been given each of us. I humbly pray as I leave my blessing with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Following the music of the choir, Brother David Stanley will pronounce the benediction. Brethren, you're an inspiring sight to behold. It's gratifying to realize that in thousands of chapels throughout the world, holders of the priesthood of God are receiving this broadcast by way of satellite transmission. Your nationalities vary, and your languages are many, but a common thread binds us together. We have been entrusted to bear the priesthood and to act in the name of God. We are the recipients of a sacred trust. Much is expected of us. With moist eyes and tender hearts, We've said farewell to that gentle giant of a man 
even a prophet of God, President Howard W. Hunter. We have sustained this day President Gordon B. Hinckley as the President of the Church and the prophet, seer, and revelator of God. I know that President Hinckley has been called of our Heavenly Father as the prophet and that he will lead us along those pathways the Savior has outlined. The work will go forward and the people will be blessed. It's an honor and a distinct privilege to serve with President Gordon B. Hinckley and with President James E. Faust in the First Presidency of the Church. Long years ago, a divine command was given by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he said to his beloved eleven disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Mark records that they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. This sacred charge has not been rescinded. Rather, it has been reemphasized. The Prophet Joseph set forth the purpose of the Church when he declared, It is the bringing of men and women to a knowledge of the eternal truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Redeemer and Savior of the world, and that only through belief in Him and faith which manifests itself in good works, can men and nations enjoy peace. Does the world in which we live stand in need of the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Almost everywhere one looks, there appears an erosion, not only of the environment, but even more seriously, an erosion of spirituality and of compliance with eternal commandments one sees a blatant disregard for the souls of mankind. It is almost as though the faces of many have been turned away from him, even the Lord, who solemnly declared, The worth of souls is great in the sight of God. The gentle words, Come, follow me, fall on many with stopped ears and closed hearts. Such seem to be attuned to another voice. Do you remember with me the story from childhood days of that persuasive musician, the Pied Piper of Hamelin? You will recall that he entered Hamelin and offered for a special sum of money to rid the town of the vermin with which it was plagued. When the contract was agreed upon, he played his pipe and the rats came swarming from the buildings and followed him to the river where they were drowned. When the town leaders refused to pay him for his services, he returned to play his pipe and led the precious children away from the safety of their families and their homes, never to return again. Are there Pied Pipers even today? Are they playing alluring music to lead to their own destruction, those who listen and follow. These pipers pipe the tunes of pride and pleasure, of selfishness and greed, and leave in their wake confused minds, troubled hearts, empty lives, and destroyed dreams. The deep yearning of countless numbers is expressed in the plea of one who spoke to Philip of old, How can I find my way, save some man should guide me? Brethren of the priesthood, the world is in need of your help. There are feet to steady, hands to grasp, minds to encourage, hearts to inspire, and souls to save. The harvest truly is great. Let there be no mistake about it. The missionary opportunity of a lifetime is yours. The blessings of eternity await you. 
Yours is the privilege to be not spectators, but participants on the stage of priesthood service. To those of you who hold the Aaronic priesthood, I say, prepare for your full-time missions. You will become a part of that valiant missionary army of the Lord, which now numbers 50,000 strong. How might you best respond? May I suggest a formula that will ensure your success as missionaries? One, prepare with purpose. Two, teach with testimony. Three, labor with love. First, prepare with purpose. Remember the qualifying statement of the Master. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind. Missionary work is difficult. It taxes one's energies. It strains one's capacity. It demands one's very best effort, frequently a second effort. No other labor requires longer hours or greater devotion or such sacrifice and fervent prayer. President John Taylor summed up the requirements. The kind of men we want as bearers of the gospel message are men who have faith in God, men who have faith in their religion, men who honor the priesthood, men in whom the people who know them have faith and in whom has confidence. We want men full of the Holy Ghost and the power of God, men who bear the words of life among the nations ought to be men of honor, integrity, virtue, and purity. And this being the command of God to us, we shall try to carry it out." Close quote. Second, teach with testimony. Peter and John, those converted fishermen who became apostles, were warned not to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Their answer was firm. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Paul the Apostle, that sterling testifier of truth, was speaking to you and me, members and missionaries alike, when he counseled his beloved friend Timothy, Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Elder Delbert L. Stapley, who served as a member of the Council of the Twelve a number of years ago, quoted Paul in his epistle to the Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Then Elder Stapley added, If we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, then we should not be ashamed to live it. And if we are not ashamed to live it, then we should not be ashamed to share it. Labor with love. That's our third point. There is no substitute for love. Often this love is kindled in youth by a mother, expanded by a father, and kept vibrant through service to God. Remember the Lord's counsel and faith, hope, charity, and love with an eye single to the glory of God qualify him for the work. Well might each of us ask himself, Today have I increased in faith, in hope, in charity, in love? When our lives comply with God's standard and we labor with love to bring souls unto him, those within our sphere of influence will never speak the lament, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Young missionaries always have an idea as where they'd love to serve. Usually it's a faraway place with a strange-sounding name. One day I was in the men's suit department of a large store when I encountered two missionaries with their mothers. It isn't difficult to spot missionaries or their mothers. <laughs> the two elders were conversing, and one said to the other, Where are you going on your mission? came the reply, I'm going to Austria. The first missionary responded, 
you lucky dog, going to Austria, those beautiful Austrian Alps, that wonderful music, those delightful people. I wish I were going there. Where are you going, said the missionary assigned to Austria. California, came the answer. You know, less than two hours away by plane. We go there every year for a vacation. I could see by the expression on the mother's faces and the near tears of one of the missionaries, it was time for me to intervene. <laughs> Did you say California? I asked. Why, I once supervised that area. You have an inspired call, Elder. Do you realize what you have in California to help you? You'll have chapels, stake centers that dot the land, and those buildings will be filled with Latter-day Saints who can be inspired to be fellow missionaries with you in sharing the gospel. You are a very fortunate missionary to be going there. I glanced at the other mother who said, Brother Monson, say something about Austria, quick. <laughs> I did so. Young man, wherever you're called will be right for you, and you will learn to love your mission. Brethren, all of us can participate, as may our wives and children, in bringing souls to Christ through cooperative effort with the stake and full-time missionaries. One highly successful and rewarding way is through conducting successful open house events in our buildings. You bishops of wards and presidents of stakes have had a video presentation provided you featuring Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. It's an excellent tool to be used in a missionary open house. Use it. The membership of the Church will grow, and the Spirit of the Lord will be among us as we do so. Prepare with purpose. Teach with testimony. Labor with love. I testify to the truth of this formula and, indeed, this divine work of the Lord. Many years ago, I boarded a plane in San Francisco en route to Los Angeles. As I sat down, the seat next to mine was empty. Soon, however, there occupied that seat a most lovely young lady. As the plane became airborne, I noticed that she was reading a book. As one is wont to do, I glanced at the title. A marvelous work and a wonder. I mustered up my courage and said to her, Excuse me, you must be a Mormon. She replied, Oh, no. Why do you ask? I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I commented, Well, you're reading a book written by LeGrand Richards, a very prominent leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She responded, is that right? A friend gave this book to me, but I don't know much about it. However, it has aroused my curiosity. I wondered silently, should I go forward and say more about the Church? The words of the Apostle Peter crossed my mind, somewhat like Brother Faust Lamb. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asketh you, a reason for the hope that is in you. I decided that now was the time for me to share my testimony with her. I told her it had been my privilege years before to assist Elder Richards in printing that book. I mentioned the great missionary spirit of this man and told her of the many thousands of people who had embraced the truth after reading that which he had prepared. Then it was my privilege during the remainder of the flight to answer her questions relative to the Church, intelligent questions which came from the heart, which I perceived was a heart-seeking truth. I asked if I might have an opportunity to have the missionaries call upon her. I asked if she would attend one of our wards in San Francisco where she lived. Her answers were affirmative. She gave me her name, Yvonne Ramirez and indicated that she was a flight attendant on her way to an assignment. Upon returning home, 
I wrote to the mission president and the stake president, advising them of my conversation and that I had written to her and sent along some suggested reading. Incidentally, young man, I recommended that rather than sending two elders to this pretty off-duty flight attendant <laughs> and her pretty roommate, the two lady missionaries be assigned to call. <laughs> Several months passed by. Then I received a telephone call near Christmas from the stake president who asked, Brother Monson, do you remember sitting next to a flight attendant on a trip from San Francisco to Los Angeles earlier this fall? I answered affirmatively. He continued, I thought you'd like to know that Yvonne Ramirez has just become the most recently baptized and confirmed member of the Church. She would like to speak with you. A sweet voice came on the line. Brother Monson, thank you for sharing with me your testimony. I am the happiest person in all the world. As tears filled my eyes and gratitude to God enlarged my soul, I thanked her and commended her on her search for truth. And having found it, her decision to enter those waters which cleanse and purify and provide entrance to eternal life. I sat silently for a few minutes after replacing the telephone receiver. The words of our Savior coursed through my mind, And whoso receiveth you, there I will be also. For I will go before your face, and I will be on your right hand and upon your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts, and my holy angels round about you to bear you up. Such is the promise to all of us when we pursue our missionary opportunities and follow the counsel and obey the commandments of Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior and our King. He lives, I so testify, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My beloved brethren of the priesthood, it is very humbling to feel the great strength gathered here and in the many buildings across the world. As we gather tonight, we praise the name of President Howard W. Hunter for his life and his ministry and for all that we have learned from him. God bless his memory. Brethren, I confess to you that I am not very comfortable in the calling I have received. I earnestly desire with all humility your faith and prayers. If I did not have the absolute conviction that a man must be called of God to any office in the Church, I could not serve for one hour in this calling. I express my profound appreciation to President Gordon B. Hinckley for the honor and the trust he has shown to me in calling me to be his second counselor. He has my total loyalty and support. As I expressed in the press conference on Monday, March 13, 1995, I have had the great privilege of associating in various Church assignments with President Gordon B. Hinckley for 40 years. I know his heart. I know his soul. I know of his faith. I know of his dedication. I know of his great capacity. I know of his love of the Lord and God's holy word. I have a great personal affection and regard for him. I also know that he has been foreordained and marvelously prepared to be the president of this Church in our day and time. My association with President Thomas S. Monson has also been long and blessed. We have worked closely together for decades in several capacities. 
His mind and memory are unique, his faith simple and absolute. President Monson is a big man, but the biggest part of him is his great heart. He has tremendous talent. I feel very humbled to serve with President Hinckley and President Monson. I have profound respect and admiration for President Packer, each member of the Twelve, and all of the general authorities. And I welcome Brother Eyring into the sacred fellowship of the Holy Apostleship. Tonight I would like to speak to the priesthood of God in their capacity as the Lord's shepherds. Elder Bruce R. McConkie stated, Anyone serving in any capacity in the Church in which he is responsible for the spiritual or temporal well-being of any of the Lord's children is a shepherd to those sheep. The Lord holds his shepherds accountable for the safety, meaning the salvation of his sheep. The bearers of the priesthood have this great responsibility, whether it is father, grandfather, home teacher, elders, quorum president, bishop, stake president, or other church calling. Initially, I speak to the worthy young men of the Aaronic priesthood. When I was a very small boy, my father found a lamb all alone out in the desert. The herd of sheep to which his mother belonged had moved on, and somehow the lamb got separated from its mother, and the shepherd must not have known that it was lost. Because it could not survive alone in the desert, my father picked it up and brought it home. To have left the lamb there would have meant certain death, either by falling prey to the coyotes or by starvation, because it was so young that it still needed milk. Some sheepmen called these lambs bummers. My father gave the lamb to me, and I became its shepherd. For several weeks, I warmed cow's milk in a baby's bottle and fed the lamb. We became fast friends. I called him Nye. Why, I don't remember. It began to grow. My lamb and I would play on the lawn. Sometimes we would lie together on the grass, and I would lay my head on its soft, woolly side and look up at the blue sky and the white, billowing clouds. I did not lock up my lamb during the day. It would not run away. It soon learned to eat grass. I could call my lamb from anywhere in the yard by just imitating, as best I could, the bleeding sound of a sheep. Bah! Bah! One night there came a terrible storm. I forgot to put my lamb in the barn that night as I should have done. I went to bed. My little friend was frightened in the storm, and I could hear it bleeding. I knew that I should help my pet, but I wanted to stay safe and warm and dry in my bed. I didn't get up as I should have done. The next morning I went out to find my lamb dead. A dog had also heard its bleeding cry and killed it. My heart was broken. I had not been a good shepherd or steward of that which my father had entrusted to me. My father said, Son, couldn't I trust you to take care of just one lamb? My father's remark hurt me more than losing my woolly friend. I resolved that day as a little boy that I would never try again to neglect my stewardship as a shepherd if I were ever placed in that position again. Not too many years thereafter, I was called as a junior companion to a home teacher. There were times when it was cold or stormy, and I wanted to stay home and be comfortable, but in my mind's ear I could hear my little lamb bleeding, and I knew I needed to be a good shepherd and go with my senior companion. 
In all those many years, whenever I have had a desire to shirk my duties, there would come to me a remembrance of how sorry I was that night, so many years ago when I had not been a good shepherd. I have not always done everything I should have, but I have tried. I should like to speak for a few minutes about the constitutional duties of the Lord's shepherds. By that I mean those responsibilities which are contained in the revelations given by the Lord himself. There is no greater responsibility than that of being a husband and a father, from which there is no release. The Lord said, Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart, and shalt cleave unto her and none else. The Lord further says to the fathers of this Church, I have commanded you to bring up your children in light and truth, and they shall also teach their children to pray and walk uprightly before the Lord. And the inhabitants of Zion shall observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Another great responsibility is that of home teacher. The teacher's duty is to watch over the Church always and be with and strengthen him and see that there is no iniquity in the Church, neither hardness with each other, neither lying, backbiting, nor evil speaking. A further commandment is to see that the Church meet together often and also see that all members do their duty. They are to warn, expound, exhort, teach, and invite all come unto Christ. The priesthood quorum presidents and their counselors are also shepherds of the sheepfold and bear the responsibility to lovingly care for the members of their quorums. The bishops of the Church are some of the watchmen on the tower, said Timothy to the bishops of the Church. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the Church of God? Of the Aaronic priesthood, the Lord has said, The bishopric is the presidency of this priesthood and holds the keys or authority of the same. Bishops, our young men are experiencing the storms of life. There are vicious wolves prowling to devour them. Many of them are like my little lamb, crying out for help. We plead with you bishops to do all you can to keep them safe. The stake president is also a constitutional officer of the Church, for he presides over the stake which the Lord has said may be for a defense and for a refuge from the storm, and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. The stakes are the curtains or the strength of Zion. They are the spiritual centers of righteousness, strength, and protection. The presiding bishopric, each of whom is an ordained bishop, have the responsibility for directing the temporal affairs of the Church as assigned by the First Presidency. In this great worldwide Church, the responsibility of the presiding bishopric is heavy and great. The Lord said of the Seventy, The Seventy are also called to preach the gospel and to be a special witnesses unto the Gentiles and in all the world, thus differing from other officers in the Church and their duties of their calling. The Seventy are to act in the name of the Lord under the direction of the Twelve or the Traveling High Council in building up the Church and regulating all the affairs of the same in all nations, first unto the Gentiles, 
then to the Jews. The twelve apostles are the special witnesses of the name of Christ in all the world, thus differing from all other officers of the church and the duties of their callings. The Lord said, They are being sent out holding the keys to open the door by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The twelve are the legates of the Lord. The First Presidency have the ultimate responsibility for the affairs of the kingdom of God on the earth. Of them the Lord has said, Of the Melchizedek priesthood, three presiding high priests, chosen by the body, appointed and ordained to that office, and upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the Church, form a quorum of the presidency of the Church. And the presidency of the council of the high priesthood shall have power to call other high priests, even twelve, to assist as counselors. And thus the presidency of the high priesthood and its counselors shall have power to decide upon testimony according to the laws of the Church. Of the President of the Church, the Lord has said, He is the President of the High Priesthood of the Church, or in other words, the presiding High Priest over the High Priesthood of the Church. He is to preside over the whole Church and to be like unto Moses, to be a seer, a revelator, a translator, and a prophet, having all the gifts of God which he bestows upon the head of the Church. The President of the Church directs the use of all of the keys and authority of the priesthood and is the only person who can exercise all of them, even though all of the ordained apostles hold these keys, some of which are in latent form. Brother and I have been a member of the First Presidency for only a few days. It seems as though before I had this calling I had limited vision. But I have now put on glasses to allow me to see more clearly in a small way the magnitude of the responsibility of the President of the Church. I'm afraid I'm like the aristocrat who wore a monocle in one eye. Of him it was said, he could see more than he could comprehend. The men who see most clearly the, the big picture are these giants of the Lord, President Hinckley and President Monson, who have served many years faithfully as counselors to pre previous presidents of the Church. Now, brethren, in conclusion, in a Church as vast and far-reaching as ours, there must be order. We must have, in addition to the scriptures and modern revelations, guidelines and procedures for the Church to move forward around the world in an orderly manner. There are some elements of bureaucracy which cannot help but occasionally produce some irritation and perhaps frustration. We ask you to look beyond any irritations or inconvenience in Church administration. We ask you to focus and concentrate on the simple, sublime, spiritually nourishing, saving principles of the gospel. We ask you to stand steady. We ask you to be faithful in your stewardships as the shepherding priesthood authority of the Church. Let us be true to our callings and the holy priesthood we bear. Let us be united in supporting and sustaining those in authority over us. Brethren, after more than sixty years, I can still hear in my mind the bleeding, frightened cry of the Lamb of my boyhood that I did not shepherd as I should have. I can also remember the loving rebuke of my father. Son, couldn't I trust you to take care? of just one lamb. If we are not good shepherds, I wonder how we will feel in the eternities. 
Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep, that we may do so, I pray humbly, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have just listened to President James E. Faust, second counselor in the First Presidency, and we shall now be pleased to hear from President Thomas S. Monson, first counselor. <laughs> 